we're going to get into week six of moving forward in Christ, in Christ-likeness. Let's pray together. Psalm 19. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word that we have before us, your word, your truth, which we want to be on our minds. We want it to be written on our hearts. We want it to transform our hearts so that we can live for you. We praise you that the commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. We pray tonight that as we read your word, as we try to understand the gospel, and as we try to understand what it means to live for you, that you give light to our eyes. Help us understand. Help us see, because we can't by ourselves. And then help us to live with the light shining before us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Sorry, I realise I confused some of you. We're not doing Psalm 19. I'm just using it to pray. We are going to be in Titus chapter 2. So if you want to turn over there. Page 1199. So we're continuing... Um, in part two of moving forward in Christ likeness and thinking about the foundation, uh, no, we've done the foundations, we think about now how to move forward in Christ likeness. And the, the model that we're using to help us to kind of capture what the Bible says about transformation and how it happens is these three trees. Uh, this is the tree um, um, that we are naturally like. He comes, hard times in life, or just anything that happens around us. We react in all sorts of negative ways. Trace it right down, what's going on? There's something in the heart, and we learned much more about the heart last time. That we love, we actually enjoy doing our own thing and not doing God's thing. That's our problem. We actually, there's a problem of desires and of beliefs and what we like and what we enjoy. And what God wants for us is this new life, this new way of living. That when the heat comes, we produce good fruit because we have transformed hearts. How do we get transformed hearts? The third tree, the cross, Christ, grace, the gospel, everything Christ is for us and is doing in us through the spirit and by the word. And each week we're going to zoom in on a little bit more of this. So last week we zoomed in on the whole heart issue. Today we're going to zoom in on this, okay, and the cross and grace and the gospel and how it directly changes us. Um, a friend of mine has got a personal trainer. I don't know if you know a personal trainer. It's a thing. There's, and if you go to a gym, there's adverts everywhere for personal trainers. Do you need a personal trainer? In fact, if you go on a treadmill, like halfway through, it say, do you need a personal trainer? Can you ask for a personal trainer? It's what you need. And you think, yes, I really do need a personal trainer. So it kind of works. And the personal trainer will stand there with you and by you, and they'll call out kind of motivation. This is what I think they do. Motivational phrases, you know, like, pain is weakness leaving the body. Stuff like that. That's what I need a, that's what I need a personal trainer to do. Now, as we think, we've been thinking about moving forward in Christ-likeness, 
And as I just said, we, we, we want to think about how this third tree, the cross, Christ and the gospel, really changes our hearts. I feel like I need, I need some help. I need, I need a trainer for my heart, a personal trainer that is going to help train this heart to be transformed to be this heart that produces good fruit. I need help. I feel like in agreeing to moving forward in Christ-likeness, it's like agreeing to do a marathon. Some of you in this room have agreed to do this kind of thing. And you agree to do it, and then you realise you have no idea what you're doing. <laughs> and it's actually a very long way. And we agree to Christ-likeness. We think, okay, we're going to move forward in Christ. And then you think, I actually have no idea how this happens. I, w- I want to go from that tree to that tree, but how? I need a personal trainer. And the personal trainer that we have is the gospel of grace. Okay, That is our personal trainer, the gospel of grace. We're going to meet our personal trainer in Titus chapter 2, verse 11. Okay? All right, let's have a read. This is Paul writing to a guy called Titus who's leaving some churches in Crete. All right? um, Titus 2, 11. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify us for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Okay, so what do we have? Verse 11, we have the grace of God that's appeared in its salvation for all people, which is a pretty standard Christian gospel statement-y thing. When, when Paul talks about God's grace, that's like his little summary for the whole good news gospel message, okay? So he says, the God's, God's um, grace has come. God has come in Jesus Christ and has given us grace. That is, God has done everything needed for us to be Forgiven, rescued, and brought into relationship with God. That's grace. God does it all for us through Jesus. Which is great. Okay, that's the gospel. That's what we believe. But the surprise comes at the beginning of verse 12. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness. What is it? It's the grace of God, the gospel. So it, the grace of God, teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives. So, in other words, grace, the gospel message, Paul says, trains us, teaches us to move forward in Christ-likeness. That's what he says. That's your personal trainer. Grace, the gospel, trains us. So let's get into this. Let's think about this more. So the gospel, this kind of summarizes what we're saying tonight, The gospel not only gets you into a relationship with God, but it then becomes your personal trainer to live out your relationship with God. Let me say that again. The gospel not only gets you into a relationship with God, Jesus died for you to bring you to him, but then the gospel message itself trains you, becomes your personal trainer so you can live for God. So when you're at the gym and you're on your treadmill and you're, Flounder like that, um, and you tempted to give up, and your personal trainer's there at the side shouting, "Keep going! You're crushing it!" Saying, "You know, don't give up." Stuff. 
And then, and then they, they're telling you technique, they're helping you think about your te- technique and they, they help you keep going. And when you're going through life and you're on the treadmill and you're hit by the heat of whatever comes along and, and we're tempted to react sinfully, the gospel of grace is there at the side of the treadmill shouting, keep going, keep going. Say no to ungodliness. The gospel saying, say no to that sin that you're tempted towards. Stay focused on Jesus. It's there training you. But apparently, personal trainers don't just yell motivational tweets at you. They actually train you. They, they teach you technique. You, you, they, they train you um, how to think about where you're putting your legs and your balance and tread and all that kind of stuff. So there's a, a thinking process in exercise that needs to happen in, in technique. Okay, I think this way, I do this. I, and, and the trainer helps you. And so the gospel of grace doesn't just keep going, yeah, crushing it. The gospel of grace teaches us to think. It trains our minds and our hearts with its truth so that we can live out Christian life. So within the gospel message itself is what we need to be trained. Within the gospel message itself and all the different facets of it is what we need. So what we need to do is see connections. And tonight, and in your studies, all about making connections between the truth of the gospel message and godly living. If you look at the gospel, what it says, and you go, okay, that connects to godly living. And that's the, that's the big burden of the book, book of Titus, if you want to spend more time studying it, it's dead short. Have a look at 1 verse 1. You see this connection. Uh, Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, gospel, that leads to godliness. There's a connection. There's something about the truth that leads to godliness. 2 verse 1, easy to remember. You, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. And he talks about how to live. So there's a, a way of living that is appropriate to sound doctrine, truth, the gospel message. There's a connection. So what we need is training to make those connections. This is what's true about the gospel. Therefore, this is how I should live. Okay, so having in verse um, 12 told us the gospel is your personal trainer for godly living, what Paul then does is lays out a summary of the gospel. Lays out a little summary of the gospel of grace. And as we read it, it's like he's inviting us to start making connections. So it's like he says, okay, grace trains you. Now, here's a reminder of grace, the gospel. Now, can you see how it's training you? Can you see the connections between truth and living? So we're going to work through his little gospel summary and make those connections. This is what's true about the gospel. Therefore, let's let that train me to live differently. Okay. Here's his gospel summary. There are three, three parts to his gospel summary. Future grace, redeeming grace, and purifying grace. And this is just one summary. You're going to get another one in chapter 3. Let's make some gospel connections. So, future grace first. So the first connection Paul makes between grace, gospel, and godliness is that um, in this present age, um, which he talks about in verse 12, he then moves into verse 13, 
We are waiting for something. Verse 13. So we live godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. So Paul says we're waiting for something in the future that should shape now. We have a hope of this future grace, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Okay, how does that future part of the gospel, Jesus is coming back to get us, train us in godliness? I wonder if you know what the, the great rulers at the time this was written used to be referred to. Many of them used to be called God and Saviour. That was their titles. So around the time of Titus being written, there was a, um, a ruler who came from Cyprus who was king, called King Soter. Soter meaning Saviour. So his name was King Saviour. And he was referred to as the very great God. There was a king called Ptolemy who was known as the Saviour and God. And then there was Julius Caesar, a famous one, who was referred to as God and Saviour. A divine kind of ruler. So the Christians then on Crete find themselves living in the Roman Empire in a world where men um, are claimed to be gods and saviours. How should they live? They need a personal trainer to help them. And future grace tells them, gospel, there's one God and saviour, Jesus Christ. And he's going to come back. He's going to appear. So, so here's the training. Right now, the Christians are thinking, we're under pressure to live by the world's ways with these gods, with Julius Caesar and so on as gods. But the gospel trains us and tells us, no, 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 there's only one God and Savior, Jesus Christ, and he will appear. Live for him, not for Caesar. And up in verse 10, Paul makes it explicit that we're to live in a way that makes, look at the end of verse 10, makes the teaching about God our Saviour attractive. In a world with other gods and saviours, Christians are to be trained by the truth that Jesus is God and Saviour and live lives out in that world that are different. So do you see how the, one of the dimensions of the gospel, future grace, is training them for godly living under such rulers who claim to be gods and saviours? Let me break it down for you. Here's the gospel truth. Jesus Christ is God and Saviour and he's going to come back. Gospel living. Therefore, don't give in to rival gods and saviours. Live in a way that attracts people to Jesus. Or to put it another way, um, if you were to have a little kind of thought process being trained in your heart, you'd say, I don't need to give in to other gods and saviours because... Jesus Christ is God and Saviour, and one day he's going to appear in glory. Do you see the training that's happening? Okay, next dimension of grace. Redeeming grace, beginning of verse 14. Uh, so we've got Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness. Stop there. So Paul presents another dimension of grace. Redemption from all wickedness. Okay, how does that train us for godliness? Well, redemption, the whole idea of redemption is a very rich reality for us as Christians. It goes back to the Exodus, when God's people were in slavery in Egypt, and God redeemed them from slavery. He set them free. He bought them out, just as a slave in this, in this um, society could have been redeemed from slavery and set free. 
So redeeming grace is that Christ was it gave himself for us. That's the cross, his death. So by dying for us in our, in our place, Christ has set us free, redeemed us from our bondage to sin. Or as it's put here, redeemed us from all wickedness. It's a pretty comprehensive redemption. But Crete is a place was full of all wickedness. And the Christians there were tempted towards a lifestyle of wickedness, of indulgence, of a complete lack of self-control. Wild, just do whatever you want. That was the culture around them. But along comes their personal trainer, Grace. They're on the treadmill. They're being tempted to the wild living. And there's Grace is there saying, Grace reminds them that, no, 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 you've been redeemed from all wickedness. And knowing that they've been redeemed from all wickedness should train their hearts to say no to lives of indulgence and doing whatever, just like everyone else in Crete. So as these Christians gaze at the third tree, at the cross, where Jesus gave himself for them, that should change them to say, no, I'm not, we're not going to indulge in that because actually I was saved from that life, from all wickedness. That's not me anymore. That's why Jesus died. Why would I go back to slavery? Do you see the gospel logic? Gospel truth. You've been redeemed. Therefore, gospel living. Don't live as if you're still a slave. It's training. It's training. Okay. Last image um, of grace. Purifying grace. Another dimension of the gospel. When God redeemed Israel out of Egypt, he didn't tell them, I've uh, redeemed you out of Egypt. Ooh, nasty Pharaoh. Now go, run free, live wild, however you want. Now God redeemed them from being owned by the cruel Egyptians, and he redeemed them to be owned by him, to be their loving God. So check out verse 14. Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. That's our gospel of grace. Jesus gave himself to purify us, to be his own, to live for him, just like in Exodus. Israel now became Yahweh's treasured possession. Go live holy lives like me, God said. And the gospel here tells us, oh, we are Jesus' own possession. We are his very own. And we've been purified, made acceptable to a holy God. And with this comes a new life. The gospel says that we are to be eager to do what is good. So you're on the treadmill of life. And a lack of self-control comes along in whatever way. You're lashing out in anger or cynicism. You're indulging in your pride or in sexual indulgence. And what you need to do when, when that temptation to living however you want comes along, you need to listen to your personal trainer. Say no. Choose self-control. Why? Well, let me give you some gospel logic. Because your body is not your own. You are Jesus's. You are his very own. Say no to those 
thoughts, that way of thinking and acting is not pure. The gospel trains you. No, you've been saved and purified to live for God. So you can have this little conversation in your, in your head, this, this, this training, this gospel logic, as I call it. No, no, I'm not going to wallow in self-pity or whatever it is. Why? Because, training, training, Jesus has made me his own. Gossip. Living is directly impacted by gospel truth. Do you see that link? Whatever bit of the gospel you choose, in some direct way, it will train you to live for Jesus. For whatever way you want to grow in godliness, for whatever sin you're trying to fight right now, for whatever way you want to become more like Christ, there is something in the gospel that will train you to live differently. And Paul's not done, because in chapter 3, which you're going to do in your study, he does a kind of another summary of the gospel, with a whole bunch of other beautiful dimensions of the gospel. And we're going to think about those connections and how to live. Now this may be really, really new to you. Not that the gospel's new. For some of us, the whole idea of Jesus saving us and us living here is a new thing. But for a lot of us, the gospel itself isn't new. It's something we maybe received a long time ago and put our faith in Jesus and rescued. But what might be brand new is the idea that that gospel actually changes me. That it that those truths and little bits of the gospel, when they go into my mind and my heart, actually change the way I live. That the gospel is not just good for getting you into a relationship, but now becomes your personal trainer. That might be very new. And it takes a lot of hard work. It takes a lot of listening to your personal trainer. Imagine you went to the gym and you got yourself a personal trainer. At first, it, it would be a bit odd having this little person there shouting and telling you to do things and training you and it take a while but you it takes attention you need to pay and this is what i encourage you to do and this is a lifelong exercise to really pay attention to the gospel and do that really hard work together we've got each other for this prayerfully how does that bit of the gospel change the way i should live so you're going to have some time to do that together now Okay, that's what the, the study is about. Working together, working hard. Let's draw lines between gospel truth and gospel living. Okay, let me pray for you as you do that. Heavenly Father, we praise you for the truth of the gospel. It is more powerful than we ever realized. The gospel which brings us into a relationship with you. The gospel that we first believed in that day, whenever it was for us. But now this gospel which every single day we need, every single day points us to Christ, every single day changes how we think, changes our values, changes what we think about the world, changes what matters to us. So we pray that it would, the gospel would change how we live. We need your help, Holy Spirit. Please train us. Even tonight, train us. Help us to train each other that the gospel would so fill our minds that it would change our lives. In Christ's name, amen.